everybody this is your pal noble and welcome back to the noble dreams podcast episode 15 uh so this week what i wanted to do was i'm gonna replay for you brie brie's mission number two um and she'll obviously explain what's going on there and for those of you who are newer to the podcast we have a segment called brie brie's missions where my friend brianna sends in missions for us to go on and to go out and interact with the world in hopefully new ways and beautify it in uh, manners that are unique to us. And then hopefully report back so that we can all share in uh, your experience and celebrate you. So I, I put out Bree Mission 2 a while ago um, on the podcast and I'm going to share it again here. And uh, as the results from that come in, I will share them with you all. Uh, right now, 
we haven't received any from this mission, which is totally fine. Um, and I also really, really hope that there will be some. And so in the meantime, what I thought I would do is um, go back into the archives of stories that I've written and experiences that I've had doing a similar practice. Um, I sometimes call them allurement walks where I just go out either on a walk or sometimes a bike ride and follow no plan. You know, some, I'll just say a little prayer about, you know, uh, being, asking for an experience, just any experience or whatever. And then just go out and anything that catches my eye or heart or ear or anything, just go towards that. Just keep saying yes and, and keep following it. And my experience in doing that has been just absolutely amazing. Uh, every single time something happens that's completely magical to me and that I could not have ever foreseen. And I mean, I'm remembering one time just going out in the woods in the middle of like February in a place I didn't know and doing that and coming across this really cool deer bed that had been melted in the snow and then eventually ending up at this, this like incredible spire of quartz uh, crystal rock that was shooting up out of the snow that looked completely alien to anything that I have ever seen in the woods around here. Um, the intro that, the second half of the intro that I recorded before seems to have disappeared. It's taken me a while to get this episode put together. And uh, yeah, so anyways, to submit your stories and the submissions to Bravery's mission, the best way to do that is to send along to NobleDreamsPod at gmail.com. NobleDreamsPod at gmail.com. And the uh, Instagram account where I post pictures is at NoahDaysNobleNights. There's a tip jar feature in the show notes. So if you would like to give financially to the show, which is a huge help, then I <laughs> encourage you to do so. That and that's echoing right now was from the old intro, and I don't know what it was about. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, thank you so much to uh, Carolina, whom I reached out to in order to ask her if she would be willing to share her songs for the podcast, and she has been so kind to do so. Um, that was her that you heard at the beginning, and if you stick around, which please do, you will hear her again at the end with another song, which um, both, of, both of which I really love and I'm so grateful for. Um, and yeah, so really happy to have you here. It's really a blast. I'm slowed down a little bit physically and have been dealing with some health stuff that is keeping me from being able to do as much podcasting as I would like to be. So bear with me. Uh, I had been keeping them, keeping up with getting them out every week. Right now it's uh, not quite doable for me. So uh, I'm getting them out when I can. And so grateful for you all being here, supporting the show in the ways that you do, reaching out sharing your stuff with us. It's all just a really, really wonderful experience and I'm so much in gratitude. Uh, love to you all and uh, cozy up. Get yourself a little cup of tea, maybe some sort of animal to cuddle up with and uh, tell you a few stories. Okay, bye. Bye, bye. Hi friends, Brie here with mission number two. And, but before we get to that, I just wanted to take a moment to let you know what I did um, for mission number one. 
of spreading joy and beauty in some way, I decided to paint rocks that I found outside all different colors and to write some positive words on them and spread them around my city. So it was really fun and I actually invited one of my friends to come over and paint some more rocks. So we'll be doing that in a few days. So we'll keep it going because it was just that much fun. Um, But so for this week, I wanted to spend a second talking about the idea of miracles. Recently, I have been introduced to the author Sark. That's S-A-R-K, Sark. She is in some ways a self-help guru, but more than that, I think she just spreads encouragement to love and live life fully. And she writes, most of her books are in her own handwriting rather than typed up and filled with all these beautiful, colorful drawings and scribbles and doodles. And it just feels really homemade. And um, you just, I, personally, I feel more connected to the author while reading than I do with most books just because of the format of it. But one thing that Sark talks about in one of her books is the concept of miracle walks, where the quote she says to explain it is, miracles find me now. So no matter what she's doing, whether it be an already joyful day or activity, or if she's in the midst of grief, she enters into the world as often as she can with the mindset that miracles are out there, no matter what. And she describes how that attitude has changed her life and all the wonders and daily moments of magic that show up by entering into each moment as if there's a miracle waiting for you. And I actually had recorded a different mission for mission number two, which I'll probably use for some future mission because it's something I was excited about. But during a trip with my best friend that had been planned for months, we very unexpectedly got mugged and um, I lost my phone in that situation and with that, the recording of the mission. But the reason I bring that up is earlier that day, I had described to this friend the idea of miracle walks and kind of jokingly had been saying all day, like, are you looking for a miracle? And then this situation happened, which led to a lot of other stressful things to kind of deal with what had happened. (laughs) But after being in the police station for about an hour and a half because of, you know, some of the things we had to figure out, I remember that that's how we had started our day. And even though I had just been crying, I wrote down on a pad of paper are you looking for a miracle and showed it to her and she started laughing. We both started laughing and I realized that this is really a good opportunity to practice this concept because even though Sark talks about looking for miracles in all experiences, including grief and sadness and anger and whatever, it's so much easier to be like, I'm going to do this when I'm having a great day and feeling excited and happy. And it's really challenging to be crying in a police station (laughs) and think I'm going to look for a miracle right now. But we did. 
and some miracles really did find us. So for this week's mission, I am just encouraging everyone to take a miracle walk and really come up with your own interpretation of what that means and what you want it to look like. And if you're interested, check out Sark and read some of her books. Um, She even has a phone line where you can call and hear some of her messages. So that's a fun way to get to know some of her beliefs. But yeah, go take a miracle walk and let us know what you find. All right. Thanks. Till next time. Okay, friends, this first one is called Owl Crowns, and it's a combination of a story, poem, and a dream, and many things between. This is where it goes. This story starts with a poem that I wrote the other day in reaction to a dream. There is an owl on my head. There is an owl on my head. He's been there all day, since before I awoke, actually. We were sitting on the grass when he flew by, full of grace, elegance, beauty. When he landed close, though, he was hardly the precision-preened vision of avian majesty. His feathers askew, tattered, greasy, pitiful and yet still handsome in his rugged way. Shuffling along, unsteady and with the aid of wing here and there, he climbed upon my torso, skirted to my spine, and with a final hop from my shoulders perched on the back of my head. I felt no fear, even as I ducked through doors and leaned, and his grip tightened, and a wing fluttered to keep balance, and his talons dug in. We tilted the camera to get him in the frame. It was a perfect picture. I don't feel his weight pressing down anymore, not that he was ever all that heavy. I don't know if others can see him, or why I can still manage to put on a hat, but I know he's there, and that is enough, plenty, the world. A while ago, my therapist mentioned that one thing that people don't do very much is to continue to lie in bed just after awaking and feel into whatever they just experienced in dream time. I try to pay attention to my dreams, sometimes record them, and almost always marvel at them, even if they seem mundane at first. I don't hold much interest in symbolic dream interpretations in the way that is often proposed. There was rough water in my dreams, so part of me is in turmoil, that kind of thing. Which, like many... Insufferable artist statements only, for me, serve as an attempt to turn something inherently magical into intellectual wankery or worse. Instead, as I did the other morning, I like to sit with whatever I can recall and see how it might inform my waking life moving forward. In this case, I replayed the dream in my head and body, and then it seemed clear enough to me that I wanted to maintain the fact that there was an owl on my head and move from there. I had a lot of other things on my mind that day, and regardless of anything else, the presence of my owl friend provided subtle but significant comfort. Other than my owl friend, I woke up feeling pretty shitty, not terribly excited about the day ahead or life in general. Some days are like that. Because I didn't have too much scheduled or that need needed to be done, I decided to focus on self-care, make sure and do some things that I knew would be edifying at some level. A morning yoga class, write a poem about an owl on my head, a run in the sunshine with my dear friend Bolton, a hot bath while reading about anger release exercises, a community meeting, and of course my feathered friend was along for every activity. Sometimes, when I remember him up there, I would reach up and gently pet his head. There is a fine line, of course, between a fulfilling activity and a distraction, 
And to go too much into that theory would be an exercise of the mental sort that I've already discussed interest in avoiding at this moment. So we won't delve deep on the subject. Suffice to say that, like everything, I believe there is a bit of a spectrum, and that the both-and section between the poles is usually the richest. The aforementioned activities all felt good, and yet a bit deeper down I knew I was avoiding something. Like most things in life that are truly enriching, there were parts of me invested in avoiding this particular one, which was simply going out in the woods for a bit. I try not to take anything for granted, but so far in my life going out in the wilds has been pretty much 100% effective in at least making some part of me feel at home or connected, or whatever word can be used, and yet still not fully describe the feeling. Before I left, I dug through a little box of things to find and put on a necklace that my dad had given to my grandmother years ago, a chain with a great horned owl that he painted onto a piece of shell, which acts as the pendant. I used to wear this regularly, before I realized that the paint was wearing off. Somewhat crushed, I quickly sealed it in with some sort of lacquer, and it is still recognizable, though a bit more cryptically so. I drove out to a favorite woods access zone, but, seeing that the parking spot was walled in by snowbanks, went a bit further to a road that is closed in winter. I said a little prayer and tromped up the trail, plodding along with tracks from the past walk-goers. The sun was already low in the sky, soon to dip below the hills. The going was tough. Snowshoes would have made a world of difference, and a lot of me wanted to turn back, but I pressed on. I remembered my companion and let him lead the way. He chose a path jutting off the road and into the hills, a meandering crisscross of dog and deer tracks, a trail established by olfactory pursuits, unlike ours which was dominated by the visual dimension and avian intuition. I said, okay, and did the legwork. The snow was deep here, and with each step my boots sunk in and ice collected and melted slowly against the tops of my socks. We were gaining altitude, and despite the ever-present din of the highway in the distance, it felt increasingly wild. As we topped a small rise, I caught a glimpse of movement in the canopy, and knew its source before I centered my vision on it. I watched as the owl, this one quite visible to the naked eye, alighted on a branch and stared straight at us. I shifted my head to get as full of a view as possible between two trees, and we maintained a mutual gaze for a period outside of linear time. I smiled and the owl turned its head and took flight. We followed slowly, in the general direction, watching as the owl swooped along and landed at increasing distances until it d disappeared into the forest. We plodded along, finding patches of ground exposed by the scraping of hungry deer's hooves, laying in the beds they had cleared out to rest in, and finally plopped down, snow angel style, on the peak of a hill, watching the branches of the trees dance above before making our way back to the car as the woods slowly fell to darkness. In the poem, there was a picture mentioned. In the dream, an old college friend, Aisha, and I were attempting to take a portrait of the two of us and the owl, tilting the camera to make sure he was in the frame. I would so love to have a copy of that picture. Taking them in dreams has always proven to be a near impossible task, but this one, as mentioned, was pretty stellar. When I have dreams involving people, I often like to tell them. This is especially true if it is someone that I am not particularly close with, or think about often. I liked Aisha in college, but we were by no means best or even top ten friends there, and have not kept in much touch since then. I mention this only to note that for her to show up in the dream felt unusual enough to really leave a mark on me. 
I decided to send her a message and, in doing so, suddenly realized that I had totally forgotten that her social media profile picture is one of her with a bird on her head and had noticed that while I was in New York City selling Christmas trees, I had sent her a picture of a children's book that deals with a similar situation, a bird on one's head. And so what? I've had many seemingly serendipitous experiences with owls and other birds of prey. This one, given the last bit of information, might be simply explained as, well, Aisha and the bird head situation were clearly in your subconscious and come through in the dream, came through in the dream. And the real quote-unquote owl was just a coincidence, blah, blah. That imaginary person or a hundred other explanations might be right. And frankly, that part doesn't matter so much to me. I find in life that as patterns become more noticeable and things that once were easy to get excited about can become more routine if treated thusly, that existence can become duller if I let it. I don't love the idea of having to create gimmicks in order to enjoy and appreciate life, and I don't believe that they are necessary or that they are simply gimmicks. As I was in the aforementioned meeting, I was internally projecting myself into the future and not feeling so great about that. And so I decided to do what felt a bit uncomfortable and tell my owl story. As I was speaking, I realized that even though this future thing was taking so much of my mental space, that I would probably not remember my inner turmoil surrounding it. But that my choice to honor, in my view, the gift of the dream and to stick with it helped bring a depth and a hint of fun, reflection, and adventure to my day that I might not have allowed myself. And as I felt my owl friend on my head as I spoke, I felt pretty confident that I would not soon forget him or what he inspired. And here we are, days later, and we haven't forgotten. The future is now, folks. The future is now. P.S. Please tell me your bird stories if you got them. And I bet that you do. And P.P.S. There's a really interesting um, crime story that I'll link to in the... In the uh, Show notes. This one is called Thank You, Mr. Brousseau. I spend a lot of my life doing things that are probably, arguably, not in my best interest. One of these things, which has become more and more pronounced, is being deeply seduced by a constant stream of thoughts, of worries, and anxiety, of all kinds of doubts and dreams, and you name it. I guess I'm human. Regardless, one of my practices to get out of my head, or at least to try, is to go out with no real plan and just follow my gut, whatever catches my eyes, ears, heart. It is an exercise in acting before the thoughts can even come in, and literally going with the flow. I spend most of my time and energy fighting this flow in one way or another. Every time I let go and surrender to it, magic happens, and I am led somewhere or to someone or several people that feels or feel very right and sometimes fairly unbelievable. Background. About four and a half years ago, I was living and working in Burlington, Vermont. I was working at a job in which I was usually off by myself in my corner, getting orders ready to ship. Because I had minimal, minimal inter- interaction with others and the work did not require an incredible amount of brain power, I would listen to podcasts or music on my headphones pretty much all day long. One day... <clears throat> I was listening to an old episode of All Songs Considered, an NPR show 
which highlights new music coming out, or does theme shows, or interviews musicians and producers. This particular show was from 2006, and they introduced and then played a song called The Young and the Free by a man named Tom Brousseau. I was stunned by what I was hearing, mostly just this otherworldly, gorgeous voice sailing over an acoustic guitar and some other instrument that is hard for me to identify. So simple and yet utterly mesmerizing. When the song ended, I pulled out a scrap of paper and jotted down the name so that I could look it up later. This was a common practice, and my pockets were fairly well populated with these little notes. Many of them have since slipped into the pages of a journal or an envelope somewhere, mostly forgotten. But this was not to be lost. The hit was strong enough that I had scrawled on the that what I had scrawled on the paper was immediately etched into my mind. There are not many songs that I'm willing to listen to on repeat, but this is one that I almost can't help but restart as soon as it has ended. It has a haunting, inexplicable feel that cuts me to my core. And it has become one of my all-time favorite songs, one that has brought me so much joy and comfort in the last couple of years. March 6th. A few days prior to the day at hand, I was sitting on a wall of hay bales on Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon, strumming on a ukulele and singing songs to myself, nodding at the people driving by. My dear friend Charlie, whom I had not seen since high school, picked me up a few minutes later. Within a minute of being in the car, I glanced at the sidewalk and spotted what looked a whole lot like my dear friend Liz from college in Florida. I yelled out the window and she stopped and I hopped out and we hugged. I did not know that she even lived in Portland. She had moved there a week before. I had not seen her for about four years. After staying with Charlie and his wonderful girlfriend Taylor, I asked Liz if I might be able to crash with her for a few days. She said of course and I was grateful. At this point I was basically couch surfing and not really having any real plan. This is a really great way to be if you are just freewheeling and fancy free, and a fairly stressful existence if you are not. I was not feeling super great about sleeping on yet another friend's floor, and I was also not quite ready to do anything about it. So I decided that the best thing I could do was get out of the apartment and just follow whatever allured me, without letting too much thinking get in the way. A few doors up the street, I spotted a taxidermied ostrich and poked around the store which sold curiosities ranging from Venus flytraps to real human skulls. Satisfied, I wandered outside and glanced at a telephone pole plastered with an inches thick bark of old concert posters and rusty staples. Poking out from beneath another flyer was a green poster with Tom Brousseau in pretty white script. I had technically seen Tom the summer before at the Newport Folk Festival when he was playing with the actor John C. Riley and a woman I had never heard of. It was billed as John Riley and Friends, and I had gone just to see if it was indeed said actor. I had never seen a picture of Tom, and with the voices in close harmony, I did not recognize his, learning that it was him only later when I did some further research and desperately wishing I had known at the time. I figured that, with the poster buried, that this was another near miss, a show gone by, until I peeled back the other paper and found, to my surprise and delight, the show had not only not passed, but it was to be happening that very night, in a couple of hours and within walking distance. My schedule for the evening, which had included fretting about making future plans and feeling fairly miserable in the process, were erased, and I promised myself then and there that I was going to the show no matter what. An hour or so later, 
I left the apartment again and jogged towards the venue, Alberta Abbey, determined to get there on time. After waiting around for a while, they opened the doors and I bought a ticket. I was given a drink voucher as well. A local brewery was there and someone was selling delicious looking bowls of food. It was a dinner and a show affair if one wished it to be. I joined the beer line on the stage of a large room that had been, in various incarnations, a church, a school gymnasium, and a performance space. I checked out the other attendees in line, wondering who else would be coming to this show. Sometimes I think I am one of about three people in the world who really love certain artists, and I'm always fascinated to see who will show up to disprove that. As I was scanning the line ahead of me, I noticed a very thin man with a buttoned-to-the-neck plaid shirt tucked deeply into a pair of high-waisted, deep-blue, beltless wranglers. His blonde hair was slicked back on the sides and had a perfect little curl falling across his forehead. He was standing around chatting with people in 2015, but he might as well have, looked, have been leaning against a giant automobile, sipping a malted at the local soda fountain somewhere in the Midwest in the 50s. It took me a second to recognize that it was Mr. Brousseau himself. He's from North Dakota. As far as I know, it's still like that there. In that very second, I was very excited and also nervous. As I made my second promise of the night, which was that I was going to at least say hi and thank him for making such beautiful music. A minute later, I got my chance and did just that. I introduced myself and started to thank him. But before I could finish what I was trying to say, someone else whom he clearly already knew, swooped in and took his attention away. I stepped back and leaned my back against the wall nearby, a little disappointed and also proud of myself for making the effort. I stood there for five or ten minutes, sipping my cup of beer, not really knowing what else to do with myself. I figured my chance to talk to him with him had passed, so I returned to studying the people around me. After a while of this, in which I was growing increasingly bored and sleepy, the people that Tom was talking to dissipated, and he turned around and looked right at me. What was your name again? Uh, Noah. Noah, it's kind of loud in here. Do you want to go talk somewhere where it's easier to hear? He said, motioning to a hallway at the base of the stage. I was beyond shocked by this development, but snapped to attention. I let him know, with some awestruck nodding and a meager vocal affirmation, that yes, I definitely was interested in that and followed him backstage. Backstage, it turned out, was a woman's art studio. She was there at a desk studying something on her computer while a couple of people milled about in the room. A few guitar cases lay around on the floor and canvases with paintings in various stages of completion lined the walls and stood on easels, all facing inward. There were a few chairs and stools, which we sat in after greeting the others in the room. One of these people was Shelby Earle, a singer-songwriter from Seattle, whom Tom had invited to come and play a few songs during the set. Everyone was incredibly friendly, and Tom introduced me to the promoter and the opener, Barna Howard, as if I were his good friend, and was constantly making sure that I was happy and comfortable. Something happened as I was standing around, hearing the promoter and these musicians swap stories from playing at different venues and festivals. I suddenly felt like I belonged there, at least to a certain degree, and that I was part of something. Sure, on one hand it really had nothing to do with me, and I just sort of happened to be there. 
but it was also fun to just play the part, and it felt good. I got a glimpse into a world that I obviously think and dream a lot about, and when I really imagined myself involved, so many of my worries and anxieties about being all these other places for a million reasons sort of dropped away. I've been in a state of having a very hard time taking steps in any direction, and this was a good glimpse of what it might feel like if I did. I was in a moment where I had fully followed myself, followed what really resonated, and acted on it. I got out of my own way for a bit. That was a moment I have revisited many times since, and it is an important one for me to remember. When most of the people cleared out, Tom asked me all about myself, with persistent curiosity. He did this with everyone he spoke with. It dawned on me that I was not only in the presence of someone that I admired, but who was one of the most genuinely friendly people I had ever been around. He picked casually at a guitar as we spoke. I told him about inadvertently see him, seeing him the summer before, and about hearing him first on that podcast, and how much the young and the free resonated with me. I told him this out of a place of true gratitude. I don't like the idea of flattery, and I was not aiming to just sit there and gush at him. When I mentioned the song, his hands, seemingly by their own volition, began to play the opening notes. At this point, someone came in and let us know that Barna was going on, and we went out to watch his set. His warm, easy voice and acoustic guitar pickings carried a set of country-tinged folk songs flowing in a vein somewhere between John Prine and James Taylor. When he finished playing, I figured it would be Tom's turn right away, but the MC announced that there would be another hour or so of social time before the main act. Not looking forward to sitting around for an hour, I asked Tom if I might be able to come backstage again. He said, of course, and so I did. Backstage again, a few people milled around. Barna came in and everyone complimented him on his set. The promoter came in again and asked if anyone wanted any food or drinks, and so on. After a bit, though, just Tom, the woman whose studio it was, and I were the only ones left. Tom said, that song that you mentioned earlier, well, and went on to explain that when they had printed copies of his first album, which the song was on, he took them door to door in a backpack and would play them a verse and chorus of it in hopes to pique people's interest. He did this until the cops were called on him because it was illegal to solicit in residential zones. As a result of all this, even though it's a song he hasn't played for years, it is deeply rooted in his muscle memory and his body still remembers exactly how to play it. How many units did you move? asked the artist woman after he explained all this. I didn't sell hardly any, he said with a smirk. I just ended up giving them away. This came as no surprise. At this time, I realized I was probably in a now-or-never situation. He was supposed to be playing soon, and who knew when someone else would come in the room and start up another conversation. I mustered up my courage and asked him directly, Tom, would you play that song for us right now? It was a simple question, but the idea of it actually happening, if he agreed, was almost too much to believe for me. I was almost more nervous to be accepted than rejected. Not entirely unusual for me. Of course, he said yes and went straight into it. I sat there awestruck as he performed this incredible song right in front of me. Of course, I wanted the moment to never end, and I tried to pay close attention to all the details, the feelings, and anchor them somewhere in my being. Soon after this, the actual show was ready to start, and we went back into the main space. Tom's incredible voice reverberated through the hall, soaring high up into the rafters and all around us. The crowd was silent, 
In between songs, he would tell little stories about songs themselves or just anecdotes from his life, all charming and often hilarious. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen. If he is ever in your area, please, please go. After it was all over, I thanked him. He said, please get in touch and hang out any time there was another show. And I went on my way. A day makes sense. Greetings, peeps. I hope you are all wonderful. Here's what happened yesterday for me, sensually. I felt the warmth of the sleeping bag, the cool air surrounding the ever-increasing need to pee. I heard the early fall breeze rustling the leaves above. I saw my dear friends Jake and Hallie picking up their tent. I smelled eggs, bacon, and cinnamon bun. I saw people sitting in a circle, eating, laughing, drinking mimosas. I watched juice pool as I cut into a watermelon. Felt a satisfying snap as its two halves fell apart. I felt the sun on my front. Watched tiny beads of sweat emerge, glisten, pool. I felt the water gush out between my fingers as I squeezed the rag. I saw a light foam develop. I saw countertop crumbs plowed to the side. Felt them fall into my waiting palm. Saw the clear, shiny new swath where they had been. I heard my favorite Andrew Bird song come on the stereo. I tasted bitter coffee, felt and tasted another bite of gooey, sweet, undercooked sticky bun. I felt the cold water cool the steel of my water bottle as it filled. I felt the creakiness of reawakening legs as I pedaled down the driveway, heard the light crunch of gravel beneath my tires. I felt the vibration of dirt road washboards jiggle my hands, saw a double line of round bales and passed them by. I heard the little one inside of me beg to go back. I saw the gaps between the bales from above, felt the slight roll as my feet landed upon each one, felt the impact of a misjudged dismount, a smile spread across my face. I saw the stop-motion trickling of a thirsty stream between the slats of a covered bridge as I rolled through. I watched thoughts of being on that same road a year before come into my awareness, felt pangs of joy, of sadness. It was okay. I felt the excitement of exploring a new area. I saw the big white garage with tables of trash and treasures. I saw a little organ, felt the dust on my fingertips, heard the sounds of an improvised waltz echo through the space. I heard the man tell me that he bought it for his mother when when he was 16 from an old department store where Staples now stands. I heard myself making him an offer, promising him that it would have a new life, be played often. I listened and watched as a woman and I arranged for a delivery the next time she was in Burlington. I felt a glob of pine pitch in my beard. I heard thank yous and wishes for a rest, for good rest of days bounce between us as I hopped back on my bike. I felt the slickness of the olive oil from leftover baked kohlrabi between my fingers and worked it into the pitchy spot of my beard. I felt the pitch dissolve. I saw fields and farms, giant houses, and fancy cars. I saw a marina, sailboats on stilts. I saw a path across a field, a rocky beach. I saw a little dog, a family, a log to sit on. I saw sailboats, this time afloat, zipping back and forth across the perfect backdrop of the Adirondacks. I felt the jagged rocks under my bare feet, the path of smoother ones leading out from the shore. I saw the zebra mussels clinging to the rocks to to either side, the light murk of the water. I felt it cool my body, wash away another film of sweat, soon to be replaced.
I watched thoughts come in of a beautiful July day sailing with dear friends in this area, and I was not proud of my actions on that day. I felt pangs of yearning, of sadness, of shame, of gratitude. It was okay. I saw a boy dressed like he could have stepped from the pages of an L.L. Bean catalog. I heard him tell his mother that he and his sister had created the path of smooth rocks. I felt a grin, my nod head in appreciation. No, my head nod in appreciation. I tasted and felt the salty, oily, savory warmth of the leftover kohlrabi as I took bites from a Ziploc bag. I watched my finger spread oil from the meal onto the bottom of my shoe. I watched strips of Joe's Eco Lube squeeze out of the little plastic bottle and soak into the gaps between each link of the bike chain. The chain, in turn, sharing it with sprockets and derailers. I felt the pedals moving more smoothly, heard the squeak of my shoe and the rattles from the chain wane and disappear. I felt drips of water from my shorts drop onto my calves, slide to my socks, soak into the heels of my shoes. I felt a slight tailwind, the ease of riding, the patience to honor tire leg, tired legs, use lower gears, take time. I saw a, sh- a sign for the Charlotte Village Winery and turned in to investigate. I heard some voices in my head tell me that I was too dirty to go into a place like that. I hear myself thanking the voices and walking in anyways. I saw from the porch that this was also the berry farm where I was a year before. Watched memories arise and pass. I felt pangs of joy, of sadness, of gratitude. It was okay. I saw a family at the bar sipping samples. I saw two other women conversing with a man who was seated. I heard some voices tell me that the man didn't want me there and that he would judge me for having paint-splattered clothes and a sweaty, faded hat and a big beard. I found myself letting the woman behind the bar know that, yes, I would like to sample the whole list. I heard the women with the man ask if I would be able to bike after that. I felt a smile come and said that I was not too worried. I heard them let me know that the man was a biker, that he was biking the entire state. I saw him come alive, heard him tell me that he loved this area, seeing Camel's Hump and New York on either side of him, that he is on his way to join the 251 Club, visiting every town in Vermont, and that he was doing it by bicycle and writing a book. I heard him tell me that he could bike much faster than he could write, I heard myself tell him that I understood that. I heard him say that he was a native Vermonter, that he usually did 35 to 50 mile loops and tried to see five or six towns at a time. I watched him become more and more animated as he spoke and saw more and more of his teeth. I felt gratitude and connection. I heard some voices in my head laughing at the ones from before. I watched myself thank them all. I watched the man give me his card and myself imagining emailing him. I heard myself tell him I was looking forward to his book and watched him leave. I smelled and tasted sips of Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, three versions of blueberry wine, and many more. I tasted and felt dry, slightly sweet little nuggets from a dish after most samples. I heard myself asking myself in my head if these were for cleansing one's palates between sips. I did not hear myself asking the woman behind the counter the same question. I heard myself asking about her relationship to wine. Heard her tell me that she just likes it, loves that the owners in their 70s are so passionate and involved, and that that inspires her. I saw that I was the only one in the bar. I smelled and tasted the last sip, Buddy's Apple Crisp. Heard myself thank the woman at the bar and felt the warmth of the sun as I stepped onto the porch. I felt the sun, the heat, especially 
on the temples, on my temples and the back of my neck. I felt slight relief as I flipped up the collar of my shirt, the greasy sheen of sunscreen on my nose, cheeks, neck, and thighs. I felt the ever-welcome, refreshing breeze as I set out again. I saw Shelburne orchards and pulled in to explore. I saw people being pulled behind a tractor on a big wooden cart. I saw a farm stand and the tent with picnic tables. I saw rows of apples between behind cable fences, the end trees dusty from the road. I felt the coolness of the shade under a succession of weeping willows. I saw families and couples with bags of freshly picked apples. I heard myself asking the man at the cart about what was available and heard, heard him describing a few varieties. I tasted the flesh of one of the Paula Reds picked up from the ground, felt and tasted its lackluster bite and flavor, and selected a recently dropped Honeycrisp instead. I saw its skin shine as I rubbed it against my shirt. I watched a young woman take pictures of two curly-haired boys. I saw the big scale at the shop and the confused look on the woman's face when I brought a single apple to the stand. I heard her ask me for a dollar for the apple, then offer me a caramel apple for free. I heard myself saying yes and felt the gooey caramel between my teeth, tasted its sweetness as I sat beneath a tree, and heard some people excitedly discuss an upcoming event at the orchard. I felt the sharpened dowel that had been in the apple and was more into it than the caramel, and stuck it in my handlebar bag. I saw fields and houses and brown-tinged lawns. I saw that crisscross mowing pattern on a lawn and, and wondered again how it's done. I felt the air fly up my sleeves and cool my forearms as I descended towards Shelburne Falls. I saw a sign and pulled in, hoping for a new swim spot. I saw and read a kiosk telling of the mills that once stood, only to be washed away in the flood of 1927. I saw layered sheets of rock and a small river flow between. I felt gravel roots and wooden bridges in my legs, hands, and butt as I rolled through the woods on established trails. I heard a family laughing and splashing at one turnoff. I saw a man with a fly rod trotting upstream at another. I felt the ground beneath me and heard birds and breeze and far off traffic as I sat and watched thoughts come through, leave again. I saw a great blue heron in the distance stalking. I saw a path leading to an unknown bend in the river. I felt the plants brush my shins, my head bonk onto a branch. I felt grateful for happening to still have the helmet on. I saw the unknown bend and turned around. I felt the itch fire of stinging nettles blossom on my shins and knees. I felt anger, intense itching, acceptance. I felt the refreshment of cool water in my mind. I felt the itching slowly subside. I felt the rocks under my feet as I explored the falls. Saw that they were not huge cascades, but a gentle flow through some rocky shelves. I saw long, stringy, bright green algae wave with the flow. Watched brown clouds of silt spread when I stepped on it. I saw the murky water and decided against a dip. I felt the sweat from my hairline pool and run down either side of my eyes, tickling the skin. I saw it collect in the top of my sunglasses, blur the view. I watched a man on the bike pass give me a thumbs up. I watched myself follow him. I felt a competitive urge to catch him up and pass him back. I felt a grin as I decided to stay with my leisurely pace. I saw rows of housing developments, imagined living in them, and pedaled on. I smelled apples both fresh and fermented and saw them, tiny and bright red in the tree above and smooshed onto the bike path below. I saw into the path that leads into the forest, 
that I had passed most days and told myself I would explore. I smelled pine and hemlock and saw ropes course elements strung between the trees. I saw signs asking the public to stay off of them. Another with the donors who made it possible for UVM to build them. I watched memories of ropes courses, of working with groups all over, of pine forests in the north woods of Wisconsin, coursed through my mind's eye. I watched fantasies build around this place. I heard thoughts of writing this story, of doing it as a poem with the line incorporating the phrases ropes course and hoped for, and enjoyed their subtle rhyme and r rhythm and rhyme. I saw a circle of stumps and rode my bike over a giant seesaw made to be balanced by a whole group of bodies as they learned to work as a team. Or don't. I saw the view from a treehouse, noticed a knot on the tree that resembled an angry face, dreamt of playing volleyball in the sand courts below. I saw the lake receded at a familiar beach, new sandbars exposed, people swimming, paddleboarding, play, playing lawn games, dogs running between them. I felt the cool, clear water envelop me, the gentle ridges of the wave-washed sand underfoot. I felt and saw the sun, slowly setting towards the mountains across the lake. I felt sand stick between my toes as I crossed the beach and tried to wash it out with drips squeezed from my shorts. I saw a man with short red shorts and a white t-shirt rollerblading along the path with computer speakers in each hand. Poker Face by Lady Gaga, playing at a surprisingly modest volume. I saw a man sitting in front of a big rock sundial, eyes closed, legs crossed, facing the sun, listening to rhythmic chants emanating from a tablet. I saw the intricacy of the sundial, again having passed it many times before and having never stopped to explore. I saw people running, biking, eating ice cream, and picnicking. I felt the muscles in my legs, arms, and back pulled together as I climbed the last hill towards home. I saw the front porch rearranged and the spilled soil from a broken planter. I felt the air cool my sweaty skin as I undressed, heard voices from outside. I looked into the driveway slash junk slash treasure yard below my window and watched a man look around then stick a needle into the flesh of his inner elbow several times. I saw him deftly place it in his mouth and pull it out with lips pursed between injections, and wondered what the purpose of this was. I watched him find a vein, depress the syringe, cap it, and raise his arm above his head. I felt the warm water of the shower wash me off, heard the voice of my dear friend Nella coming from the hallway, coming for a haircut slash dinner trade. I felt the comb slide through her locks, the scissors slice through the tips of them, and watched as they gathered the floor below, on the floor below. I heard the beats of rap songs coming from down the hall, and watched a compilation video of Donald Trump saying to China over and over, felt Nella's shoulders bounce, and heard her incredulous laughter. I saw Jake in Hallie's spatial, lovely apartment, spacious, lovely apartment, as I gathered my camping gear and instruments from the night before. I heard their stories of butterflies and piglet races at the fair, of seeing the largest rutabaga in the state. I saw and appreciated Jake's pebble collection. I saw the potential danger of walking along a high up concrete arc to get a view into the Himalayan restaurant that Nella and I dreamed of eating in and could not seem to find the entrance of. Felt my legs less excited by the balance challenge than usual. We, usually, we finally found the entrance at the same time that we saw that their closing time and the time that it was at that moment were one and the same. We saw a woman inside with a vacuum cleaner. We saw ourselves walking up the street, 
planning a new plan and felt very thirsty. I saw my old friend Ian Anderson, probably according to him purposely named after the virtuosic lead singer and band leader of Jethro Tull and Flautist. I saw memories of us the crew team on the crew team together at the University of Vermont almost a decade ago. I heard a voice telling me not to talk to him, not to risk an awkward interaction, and I listened for a minute, seeing my dear friend Mac and talking to him instead. I saw after conversing with Mac that Ian was gone. I tasted fried plantains, steamed kales, and white bean pupusas. I felt my energy rise with the food and the water. I tasted the sweetness and bitterness of a coffee vodka drink abandoned, unsipped on the next table over. I felt the warm evening air and saw new friend Emily and heard myself call out to her and talk for a bit. I heard Nella speak of times past and myself responding in kind. I watched scenes of memories flow through my head, felt the gratitude of spending time with a great friend and having a tired body and being alive. I heard the bass lines from the downstairs neighbors' music boom through my floor. I watched thoughts of fear and disconnection arise. It was okay. I felt the warmth of my little closet bed, the slight ache of an ankle injury injured a year before to the day. This one's written as a poem. It's called Roses. Across the street by the abandoned school, I walk by the daycare and see the cutest girl in the world. I suppose there are many of those. Millions, maybe. I know her. She and her friends run to the fence, slide their arms through, press their faces between the bars like prisoners or caged monkeys. They have treasure, little cups of sequins, roses by the sidewalk, worth a sniff. A man in a driveway spits. There's a time for everything. In the park, a huge inflatable screen. A few people mill about where the projector will be. They're showing a film later. Despicable me. Everyone's welcome. A voice beckons. Hometown Lisa. Fancy seeing you and Rosie and baby. Cozy smile, baby blues. They saw Bernie on Church Street. Along the top of the concrete wall, a lucky penny. Ferns dance in waves with the breeze, hypnotic. I watch a lanky kid, coke shirt, red sneakers. He jumps to grab a branch, slips, again. He drapes his sweatshirt over and tries to pull up. A friend comes to help. A foot in each hand, they give up, laughing. I leap from the wall and grab the branch of another tree and climb and climb to the canopy, a crow's nest of sorts, and we rock and sway as the wind shifts. It smells like flowers up here. I would go down with this ship. A family plays tag below. Trees are safety. Down through the thicket, a vague path at best. Few humans come this way, but squirrels do, and birds. Bottles and cans roll down and through. Behind the waterfront condos, a Camry, a Nissan, plain cars for such fancy abodes. A neon-clad bicyclist burps, burps, burps in rhythm, a handful of four-leaf clovers, a hipster enclave, an old mural, cloth front panniers with little drawstrings, roses. And there's Jake, running with friends. Hello, Jake. I have a pebble for you. A boat named Butter, a bird bathing in a puddle by railroad tracks and piles of ties, dark with creosote, glistening, stinking, a mountain of gravel, a new park, a quiet street, achy legs. I think I'll buy some eggs and go home.
Thank you again, Mr. Brousseau. In June of 2015, I wrote a story about Tom Brousseau, a musician whose work I very much enjoy, and the seemingly serendipitous events that allowed me to meet and hang out with him in Portland, Oregon, almost two years ago to the day. Okay, so fast forward a bit. I receive emails from the Tom Brousseau camp letting me know when and where he is playing shows, and if he is coming out with a new album, etc. I received one of these about a year ago and informed me that he would be playing a house concert in Seattle where my dear sister Anna lives. I encouraged her to go. She put it in her day book. I challenged her to get a picture with him and to get his email. He had asked to be in touch when I saw him, but we had failed twice now to successfully exchange information. She accepted the mission and a few days later I received the attached picture, which you won't be able to see now. I'll put it on the episode. <laughs> um, fast forward again. A few months. I'm in the backseat of a car heading back from a three times a year group bike ride slash mobile picnic called The Decade. The man in the front seat was the owner of a conglomerate of three attached businesses which include a music slash coffee shop slash club, a restaurant, and a lamp shop slash bar slash venue. He has owned the original club, which eventually expanded into the others, for 15 years. I asked him which shows, of which there have been many thousands, stuck out in his mind as being particularly incredible. He told me a few. I mentioned Tom as my personal favorite, him having played at the lamp shop the previous fall. Said man agreed that he was very much enamored of Tom as well, that they were buddies, and that he would in fact be playing again the following fall. On October 1st, I marked this on my mental calendar. If I was still in Burlington, then I would surely go. As the date approached, I had an idea. I'm a musician, and I'm developing more and more confidence in owning that and sharing what I occasionally produce. I love playing for people and playing with people, and yet I've not done too much of either of late. My idea was to ask Tom if he might let me open for him at the lamp shop. I had his email, a shoot for the moon vision, and, in my mind, very little to lose. It still took me a while to send the email, but I did, adding a few songs to listen to so he had a sense of what I sound like. Lo and behold, before too long, he responded, the first few lines of the email, Please, open the show, that would be great. He actually thanked me later in his response. What I forgot to mention in the refresher part of this email is that Tom has so far, proven to be one of the kindest, politest, and most generous people I've ever met. So the day came, my half birthday. My dear friends supported me and I played the show. It was a beautiful venue and my first quote unquote real show, exhilarating and humbling. Tom played a set after with Sean Watkins, former member of the group Nickel Creek and his frequent collaborator, and they were incredible. I even got a picture of my own, which Tom proposed, so we could send it to your sister and for our own records. Quote, that was in quotes. Love, Noble. I'll put a uh, link to that show in the uh, show notes. (laughs) 
So thank you all for uh, listening to those stories and to Tom Brousseau for being such an amazing human and sharing so much with us. And also, so we have one more song by Carolina, which I think is a bit of a... Well, for me, it makes me want to go out and do one of these walks, honestly, and I kind of hope it does for you, too. And I wanted you to maybe just reflect on the fact that sometimes, like, I, I really like making these um, sort of stories about going for walks and stuff and thinking about the fact that there's people who are unable to for one reason or another. And uh, I've sort of found myself somewhat on that side of the equation, um, just being very limited physically over the last couple months because of uh, health stuff that I'm dealing with. And so just keep in mind that the, you going out on this walk, A, can be an incredible experience just for you. And then when you report back on it, whether you send us in your story written up or a recorded version or whatever you want to do, uh, whatever sings to you, so to speak, um, that we get to go along with you. And that for people who aren't able to go on a walk of their own or out, out to explore in the ways that you might be able to, and that just might not think to perceive the world the way that you do, I, I believe it's a huge gift in, uh, for us to be able to sort of vicariously experience things along with each other. So um, please, please, please do, do, do yourself and all of us a, uh, a solid and go out for one of these walks and see what happens. And I can't wait to hear on the tail end. Love you all. Bye. Hey guys, uh, my name is Carolina and this is my song. I hope you like it. It's called uh, For the Light. Time.